for March 26th, 2018. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 508, Political Tentpole. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are like your smart, funny friends from the internet. We're never happier than when we are hanging out together and talking, uh, talking about our favorite things, usually movies, music, television, something out there in the uh, in the media culture. But this week, something in the larger culture. What do we want? Podcast. When do we want it? Now, I'm Matt Rather, and I am here with my good friends, Pete Fenzel. Hello, Pete. Look down, look down, Matthew. Look down. <laughs> and uh, my other good friend, Mark. No podcast, no work, no peace. No podcast, no work, no peace. We're talking about social protest, uh, demonstration, uh, social, social movements, walkouts, all, all kinds of uh, strikes, um, all these sort of actions, civil disobedience, uh, these sorts of actions that, that, um, you know, come from a sense of, uh, uh, come from a sense of needing change, uh, and a sense of, uh, uh, anger at the way the status quo, at the way things are, and an urgent need to change them. And we are, uh, in, we are inspired by the, uh, March for Our Lives that took place this weekend in the United States, but not just in the United States, not just in every, uh, in every one of the 50 states, but also around the world. I think there was some sort of, and this, this was, this is the sort of, a uh, little tidbit that internet news loves to pick up. I think the scientists arranged some sort of uh, thing in Antarctica. So it was actually all continents. There were uh, sympathetic demonstrations all around the world. But I think that we will uh, we will uh, discuss them and move beyond them in uh, a discussion of of this sort of phenomenon and its place in our culture and in our uh, our lives more generally. So I'm I'm gonna let. I'm going to be real honest here. I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to break it down and be real. Is that is that okay? Can I be real a second, Pete? For, uh, you know? Sure. If you want to use your real voice, none of us have heard it on the podcast in 10 years. <laughs> <Not> in, <laughs> I mean, you haven't heard it in longer than that. I, I, I was a, a teenager when I was using my real voice. Um, yo. Uh, the... Um, <laughs> the protests a little bit completely aside from their content right and completely aside from the social change you know which this this weekend's marches were were in in support of a social change which i frankly support they make me feel old they make me feel uh they make me feel like i'm a little bit past my prime cuz you have these incredibly dynamic w- intelligent well spoken um High school students, right? And, uh, you know, young, so, so young, very young adults, the youngest adults, right? And, uh, they are setting the direction of the society. They are advocating for what they want. They're sort of taking the stage. And I don't begrudge them a single bit of that. It's high time, you know, and, uh, and shame on all of us for not, for, for generations and for generations for letting a, a situation develop where they had to do that. But, I, you know, within the last couple of years, I aged out of the coveted 18 to 34 demographic. And uh, I feel like my cultural relevance 
right is is waning and that's that's a weird thing to say um you know as a as a member of of a, a sort of the the superordinate end of most social dichotomies i mean i've you know i've checked my privilege and it is still operating but but it it is interesting to see uh where whereas you thought you know you could still kind of participate in the vanguard of culture um the uh the next generation sort of take it, taking on the mantle and and making you feel like you're not you're you don't occupy that role anymore whatever your role in the culture is it's not it's not that it's not the sort of the the new or the the uh the interesting thing and that the world might start to feel strange or unfamiliar for for that reason and you definitely don't want to become um an archetype of a uh, become an archetype of like a, an old dude trying to stay relevant, you know. And and uh, I want I want to sort of age into it gracefully. But the um, I when I was in college, I I uh, dated a woman who worked and who was a journalist and worked uh, in summer internships in newspapers. And there was always an older editor who was who would like give the interns like recommendations for where they should go not in like an inappropriate way like like he wanted to party with them no it was just like hey have you guys heard about that hot new club that's opened in downtown cleveland or you know i don't know wherever the internship was right like you guys should go to the, go check out that place i hear it's you know i hear it's boss <laughs> you know and <laughs> you don't want to you don't want to become you don't want to become that like i want to yield way uh, gracefully to the high school students from from Parkland, not least because I feel like they're they're being better leaders than I ever was I ever uh, have been socially. Um, but I don't know. It's a, it's a it's a strange. I mean, it's a strange feeling, you know. And and leave it to me to make the the uh, the events of this whole weekend about me and my anxiety about about aging and and you know sneaking up on middle age with with ninja like stealth. But uh, but it's it's one reaction I have. I don't know. Do, do do either of you feel a similar way, or am I just full of it? I feel the opposite. Actually, oh yeah, you in feel a certain way, like young, most, young, the, young and invigorated. Way, yeah, has made me feel younger, and it's kind of a, oddly enough a a, a a 180 degrees or so where I was uh, when I was a, a, a the first encountered protest movements when I was a college student. Now, before I go into a little bit of that personal history, Matt, completely granted everything you said, I pretty much agree with. Right, you know the 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 youth, the children are showing the way. It is an alienating thing, right? Especially as we are starting to approach middle age and have these jobs and are, you know, in the establishment part of, um, uh, of the mainstream, for lack of a better word, adult society. Um, and, uh, the youth, the teenagers are, are very much taking the lead in a way that, uh, we are not able to. Mark, would you uh, say that the children are the future? Uh, teach them well and let them lead the way. Absolutely. Um, but just very, without making this all about me as well too, but it's important to tell the story and and it'll inform the rest of our conversation. Um, Especially because when I was younger, I was very politically conservative. As you uh, remember, people who listen to this podcast for a long time know that I grew up in Alabama. Surprise, surprise, you grow up in Alabama, you grow up around a lot of conservative politics. I show up at our hoity-toity Ivy League college surrounded by all these liberals, and I think, ugh, what a bunch of uh, softies. What a bunch of communists. 
basically. And then in 2003, uh, when Pete and I were on campus, uh, there was a strike of dining hall workers and other associated sort of, you know, support staff at our university at Yale. Uh, let's not be coy about it. Um, in addition to that, the graduate students also joined, not a recognized union, but um, a, an association of graduate students who were trying to get recognized as a union. They joined in solidarity. And uh, there was a, an undergraduate who was an elected, like, you know, city council person uh, in New Haven. And he joined the protests and got arrested. And, you know, the students were inconvenienced because we didn't have the dining halls to go to and had, God forbid, we had to go out and fend for ourselves and get food. And I thought, this is a bunch of baloney. This is ridiculous. I was very much on the outside of these sort of social protests. Um, kind of related to that as well, too. I'm not going to lie. 2003, uh, Iraq war started, right? Protests were happening. I was not anywhere close to that. I was like, yeah, we got to do this. got to go kill these terrorists or, or this, that, and the other. Um, fast forward 15 years or so later, a lot has changed in uh, the world and my personal politics. And uh, this past Saturday, I was walking down 6th Avenue in New York City with the protesters, um, you know, doing my thing, right? Participating in collective action and feeling invigorated, um, feeling uh, you, you could call it young in a way. Um, so let's call it that. I felt young and felt invigorated and it felt good. Um, it's been sort of a long, strange journey uh, in my personal politics and also that of, I guess, of this, these great United States of America. But um, that was my feeling. Uh, again, not just to make this all about me, but that's where I'm approaching this conversation from. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's 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 me. Pete, what about you? Well, I don't want to make this all about me. Uh, so I'm going to make it about Paul Walker. So I've been rewatching. <laughs> I've been rewatching. I've been rewatching the Fast and the Furious movies. As I think, have I mentioned this on the podcast? It, no, it, it happens. I, I only know because I follow you on Instagram. You know. <laughs> yeah, and so we've had a whole host of snowstorms in recent weeks. They finally, finally started letting up. But one of the to-dos that we've had, me and my fiance, for a long time, is during a snowstorm to watch all the Fast and the Furious movies in a row. And so we've we've gotten as far as six. We finished six. So we went one, two, three, four, five, Tokyo. Oh, one, two, four, five, Tokyo Drift, six. We have two more to go. So we're not giving up yet. But, but I do bring this up for a reason, which is that, as you know, the, the basis for the Fast and Furious movies is that Paul Walker is this undercover cop who is investigating this street racing scene and wants to relate to it in a social manner. And so he goes to the street race and he does his best and he almost wins, but he loses. And what's being negotiated is respect as well as pink slips for cars, as well as what turns out to be a long but not long enough career of various sorts of heists for the sake of good and such. And, and, the, and so I was in a car uh, with a friend uh, the, uh, the last weekend. And so he asked me, I've never seen the Fast and Furious movies. Like, do you think that they're good entertainment? I said, well, I think they teach a good moral lesson. <laughs> and, uh, and, and part of the moral lesson is the, the whole vocabulary of competition being a route to respect, which is to a route, a route to sort of cooperation. And the idea that if you do really want to cooperate with and, it, and I think that this runs counter to a lot of what's kind of been in the culture in in the sort of hegemonic discourse of the culture for the past, what, I guess, you know, 
years or so, maybe maybe more, maybe less, probably a lot more, which is this idea of individuality is aligned with competition or and cooperation is aligned with collectiveness and co- cooperation and competition is bad if you're trying to be collective and if you're trying to be uh, uh i guess what progressive and if you're trying to be conservative then competition is good and you're trying to be individualist and uh and the reason i and i, and I say this is that you know it certainly doesn't match with my experience you know, when I was getting involved in politics when I was in college, I attempted to kind of go follow my conscience, and I ended up just kind of shamed and disregarded and just generally poorly treated by the other people at school who were involved in the same kind of politics that I was, which ended up – I mean, I'm stand, I ended up kind of standing by myself in, in four inches of snow holding a placard <laughs> trying to campaign for Bill Bradley in Connecticut, and it did not work out well for me for a variety of reasons. Uh, and, and I kind of figured, like, well, what happened to this sort of groundswell where everybody's supposed to be on the same side? Oh, and everybody's supposed to kind of, like, get motivated and get jazzed. And uh, rather than just sort of disillusionment, you know, because it's come and gone, and I've worked on various political campaigns or other political games I haven't worked on over the years. When I see the protests now, and also, of course, let's not forget that there haven't been, you know, there have been years of other protests that were bigger, or at least if not bigger, I actually don't know the numbers, but... There's been many, many protests over the course of the last few years that have been bigger than and more high profile than the protests that came before it for a number of years. Right. There's sort of a, a, a trough, a relative trough of protest as not just necessarily a political activity, but also kind of like a public theater, a public discourse. Um, I'm noticing that there seems to be I, I'm pre- noticing and appreciating a bit of a competitive spirit, which is interesting. If you're if because because I don't see this and think, oh, the kids are leading the way. No, I don't think that I don't get that feeling at all. I don't see the kids leading the way. I don't see any kind of change that's happening because what the kids are doing. Right. Like I see the kids are standing up for what they believe in. I see the kids are giving it a try and are doing their best. And I see the kids are are not waiting for permission to I mean, maybe in some cases they are, of course, because their teachers are going with them. But it's like the kids aren't waiting permission for permission to stand up and do their best for what they believe in, what they think is right. Um, so, so, Pete, what you're saying is that, that that if the kids are not great, the kids are all right. <laughs> I'm not looking for comfort, basically, when I'm looking at demonstration as as theater or as culture or as political stuff, I guess, is part of what I'm saying. And, and it's also like, well, I don't think they... And part of it is, and I don't know if you guys have felt this way too. I feel I feel kinship with both of you because I feel kinship with Mark in the sense that I like feel a certain amount of energizedness, but I also feel kinship with Matt and that I feel very old. And I've spent a bunch of years sort of being told that I shouldn't uh, speak up, right? Because other people need to speak up, and I should step back, which is something that's important in various areas of my life. That's something I should do, and like this podcast where I talk for long periods of time without being interrupted. Uh, when I should be passing the torch more. But do you guys see what I mean in that like? I don't think that the kids are necessarily leading the way, but the kids are at least giving it a try. And in that sense, the kids are showing that the kind of spirit of fighting and of competition is alive and well, which is perhaps comforting. Um, but we should not pretend that, they, that the people advocating for this aren't going to face fierce opposition and meaningful opposition from powerful, powerful groups of people, large groups of people. And, and that it's a battle, right? Uh, it's, not a, it's not a parade. It's not a triumph. The, the battle isn't over. Right. It's a fight. And and I think that it's interesting to think of as a discursive cultural phenomenon. Do you think of a protest as a because a triumph is a kind of parade 
I guess what I'm asking for is a taxonomy of parades so that I understand <laughs> the different kinds of parades because you got you got like Fourth of July parade, which is sort of like a military triumph. Of course, we just have the highly contentious St. Patrick's Day parade here in Boston, always contentious because it wants to be a triumph, but ends up being a locus of conflict because the people in charge of it think they won, but it turns out that they didn't. Um, and I'm speaking mostly about the, the awful uh, the awful rage at the desire of uh, LGBT groups to also march in the parade. They're like, no, it's our parade. We won. Right? Like, where are the Irish? We're allowed to be here. And it's like, well, we're Irish too, and we're gay. And it's like, get out of here, right? Um, so there's like political parades, but also political protests. And then there are protests that are like planned protests and kind of, kind of like choreographed. And then there are protests that are like not choreographed and not planned. And then there are ones that want to give the impression of not being choreographed, but are choreographed. Um, and then what there's like pride parades and Halloween parades, which is a continuum from like political to sell to like uh, carnivalesque. Yeah. I mean, uh, right. Like that. Well, right. Exactly. I was about to say like carnival is sort of a different thing, but I suppose all walking in the street is alike in that you're walking in the street, right? <laughs> like food festivals, like hoverboard competitions. <laughs> when, you, when people play Pac-Man on Google maps, right? like it's uh, running around. Um, I mean, to, to throw I, another really specific example on the pile, right. Uh, a year or two ago, black lives matter protest, uh, shutting down freeways. Yes, exactly. Right? That, a very different type of thing than uh, in this taxonomy of parades than the uh, the, the Irish well, uh, St. Patrick's Day. Then everybody is in is part of an involuntary parade. <laughs> well, they were involved in a parade anyway because there was a giant march of a million people down the street that happens every morning, which is a, a celebration of everybody going to work, which is. <laughs> The most lackadaisical really? celebration you'll find this side of an uh, Easter vigil. Yeah, it's about <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, I was about to say that that is no celebration. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I do not. Protest? I do. I do not think the commuters are leading the way. Are the who's angrier, the commuters or the walkout protesters? <laughs> Who has more rage in their heart is a good contest to have. But you see what I'm. So you sort of see what I'm saying. I, mean, I guess I'm saying a bunch of things. I'm transitioning into this idea, but it's like I'm. I'm hearing a lot of what Matt is saying. And, and getting that reflected back to me, and I'm hearing a lot of what Mark is saying, and I'm hitting that back reflected back to me. And those are both ways to frame this public demonstration of people walking walking out of their schools and out in the streets. Either that it's sort of like a, a sort of imp- the youth. It's a sort of it's a sort of triumph of the change of generations, wherein Generation Z is picking up a new sort of political agency and power, which they heretofore have not had by virtue of being children, uh, and that this in it has a certain sort of sunrise, sunset, kind of like sort of uh, amber-colored, sepia-toned sadness for those of us who are now multiple generations removed from mattering to marketers and, and such. And then there's the other side of Mark where it's like, oh, no, this is the springtime of youth. This is like uh, like Maito Guy and, and Rock Lee and Naruto, where it's like, oh, cherish youth, you know, the energy of youth, right, is what's going to make all the difference. Uh, and, and it's just it's interesting um, because I, I don't I don't I feel like I'm seeing both of them, hearing both of them. But I mean, honestly, guys, I've been staying up to like three, four in the morning working on like, you know, professional development classes. I have I have not been going outside all that much <laughs> since the tree episode where I got my full. But uh, um <laughs> But yes, yeah, so, so I basically have all these stories coming to me to tell me about what's going on. 
Uh, it's not happening around me, and so that's that's sort of interesting to see that sort of indirect experience rather I mean, than direct I, experience. So I think it's it's interesting to say. I mean, there is always when you're talking about protests, there is always. I mean, sometimes the question is begged, but there's always a question about legitimacy, right? And and who has the right to speak? You know, who has the right to speak in the public square? Who has the right to take up the public time? Who has the right to disrupt the to disrupt kind of the public the public business? I, I mean, you know, I was thrilled uh, when I saw Black Lives Matter protesters shutting down freeways in Los Angeles because that's like, you know, um, that, that that there is some actual civil <laughs> what that, there is some actual civil disobedience, right? Like there is where it really hurts. Right? <laughs> yeah. Los Angeles in the freeways. <laughs> I mean, but at the same time, I'm thinking like this is a fight. Is that a winning move or a losing move? Like what are the consequences going to be in this battle? Right. That's sort of what goes through my head. Well, it's I'm not. A, it's. I mean, it's a fight. It's a fight with more than one move. You know what I mean? Yeah, and like, that's, true, that's true. And so there are. I mean, there are sort of multiple skirmishes. There are kind of multiple battles. But there's also some sort of some sort of posturing. But like setting aside the question of legitimacy, which you you know, which you you connect to kind of a personal feeling of legitimacy to kind of participate in political movements and and be heard and things like that, right? Like and you know, the people who who shut you down were were wrong to do that. Uh, wrong to do that. that. Well, no, I mean. <laughs> You don't no. know that they were. Maybe I was a jerk. Maybe I didn't know what I was talking about. Maybe politics is a fight, and it, and if I'm not there to win, I shouldn't show up. But the point—I like, mean, the point of the Enlightenment is that even jerks have rights, right? Is like, that the point of the yeah. jerks, but not slaves? <laughs> Got it. Yep, absolutely. Thanks, TJ. Uh, Appreciate it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I was I was I was going a little farther past and thinking about like John Locke and, uh, and yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, no, of course, of course, definitely and Hobbes and whatnot. But but let's. But I want. I kind of want to that question a, a little bit that we can we can return to it and talk about like saying saying you don't feel a sense of comfort from the protest because the protests are not they're well they're sort of not designed to give comfort and and i i want to pick at that i want to like pull at that thread a little bit because i think there are two there are at least two there are a lot of things that are happening but the two that i want to focus on are that there is a an outward facing kind of face to the protest where a group speaks to the world and there's an inward facing face to a protest where the group speaks to itself, right? right. And they're in that sort of group membership, the sense of belonging, the sense of coming together, and you know there have been a number of uh, there have been a number of um, kind of marches, you know, uh, uh, protests. Some with specific, some with a specific program that they're advocating. Some with a more kind of broad cultural message, uh, like the women's march, and and um, and these and uh, you know these things happen. And it's it's not just and and it's important what they advocate for, but it's all it's also important that they're kind of a locus for coming together, that they're a focal point for for identifying. Uh, in some cases for compromising, right? Because your most important political issues may not be my most important political issues, but like if I see a kind of solidarity with you based on some still greater, uh, you know, still greater connection than our aligned interests, right? Like I'll walk with you, you'll walk with me. Like, uh, you know, we can sort of stand, we can, we can stand arm in arm. And that like there, there is a certain, there is a certain amount of comfort to that. It's the comfort of, of saying, um, I'm not alone, you know, yeah. and the comfort, the comfort of saying that, like, uh, 
that the world is capable of being affected by my action or that that at least that I can participate in an agency you know that has that has the potential to to create change now does a does a a march itself create change no it doesn't but but the um but but these things are still i think I think very important, right? Like the the Tea Party started with a similar set of like demonstrations, you know, uh, without a without a necessarily a concrete political program, um, you know, without a specific list of demands, just a kind of uh, cultural identification and a uh, you know um, and a kind of shared sense of a, a, a shared sense of grievance, and that like uh, and and that. That grew to become one of the most sort of effective um, political blocks, right? In in recent memory, I mean, certainly in in my life, right? And that that like it's it's now. I mean, the 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 uh, ultimate effect of it seems to be like chaos and dysfunction in uh, the federal government, but like. To a certain extent, maybe that's what they wanted, or maybe that's what the powerful interests who were funding them uh, wanted, right? And and it sort of started, and so nothing was accomplished by the initial march, by the initial just kind of showing up, but that it was a it was a tipping point that led to sort of concrete action. So I, I mean, I would call them a necessary, but a necessary but not sufficient condition for change. Um, you know, is the sense of uh, is that sense of solidarity and that sense of kind of common purpose in um, uh, that uh, common purpose in the face of grievance or adversity? Yeah, I mean, what I marched in the women's march, and I marched I, when I did. You guys, were you guys at the rally to restore sanity? That was a fun one. And or fear. I'm was, no, I, I remember you went. And had yeah, dispatch on overthinking it. Yeah, that was that was the John Stewart rally with Stephen Colbert, uh, which was you know uh, the OJ's and Cat Stevens were there, and it was a great big party. Did um, Kid Rock perform? Was Kid Rock at the rally? Possibly. I, I, think I don't remember. He did. I mean, he there was also a Glenn Beck one the week before, yeah. and I and I want I don't want to make sure that the podcast doesn't too exclusively approach this from just a liberal perspective, uh, because obviously it's not the only political block, and obviously it's not one political block, and there's lots of protests all over the place. Um, so, but it, but that's just the ones that I have the experience with because that's the ones that I've been in. But well, you know what? What you're saying makes me think of is it makes me think of another big event that happened this week, and I'm not transitioning to it. I'm just bringing it up to highlight it which is that this week Black Panther passed the Avengers as the top U.S. grossing movie uh, or top U.S. grossing like comic book slash superhero movie, right? Domestic, right? And um, and you might think, wow, like how does that how does that happen, right? Because this is a lesser known character. This isn't a sort of culminating event. This is, you know, by the sort of rhythms of Kevin Feige's brain brain flow. This is not this is not supposed to be a climax of sorts. And the climax is supposed to come in a month or two. But what it makes me think of is the the sort of towering inferno culture, which I guess is is kind of uh, prescient to describe it as such, which is the movement of movies from being a sort of stock entertainment uh, that you would go to as sort of a, as a sort of standby, right? Like, oh, well, you don't have to go to the movies anymore because now we have TV. And so now that you have TV, the movies are kind of obsolete. And, and what's the point, right? And then they say, well, the point will be that going to the movies will be an event, and, and it'll it'll be a big thing. That's what the tent pole is. We put up the tent pole, and everybody comes for the event. And it's become very clear that that the Black Panther was has been a very 
special sort of event and that it has generated a follow on of organization around it, of, of people kind of fractally and cyclically uh, or maybe encyclically building their own groups to go and see Black Panther like once, twice, three times, bringing their friends uh, and that it is connected with people that has galvanized them in sort of the Malcolm Gladwell, Maven's connectors kind of way to like bring people together and see this movie and see this movie and see this movie. And so I wonder if one of the ways to look at uh, protest theater now, and I don't mean to diminish it by calling it theater because so much of everything is theater. I mean, this is this is from somebody who very much prioritizes and prizes theater. So it's it's praise, not an insult, is that uh, a protest now seems like a political tentpole. It seems like a political uh, occasion because the idea is that every day, sort of day to day, that that revolution is happening constantly, that there's always a reason that you could be on the barricades and you can do it from the comfort of your own home. <laughs> you could stand in a barricade and yell at 100 people whenever you want, and they'll all yell at you back. And, uh, and, and it's something that we can all be exposed to whenever we want. And so actually turning out into the town square is not particularly special. Like if you ever you guys encounter those protesters who are sort of very fringy and are protesting something that's like very not uh, related to the interests of the place where they are. And you kind of wonder, like, um, like what they're thinking, like, like a good example for this is people who protest like very specific foreign policies of other countries in like in like small contained municipal areas you know like Pete, right? I, I feel like cambridge is a very special place for this yeah. sort of thing like, you know berkeley, yeah. berkeley is similar it has a uh i don't know it has they have unique political cultures yeah but it's, even beyond that like another example like any major metropolitan area with a sizable chinese community is going to have Falun gong protesters who will turn out against mainland china with some reasonable frequency, and you'll yeah, see them Yeah, they out have there. those in Boston Common, too. I was thinking about—that was one of the examples I was thinking of, right, is Falun Gong protesters still at it after all these years. Oh, yeah. More, more, more than the Beach Boys, even. They got some real staying power. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, I shouldn't diminish it. Again, I shouldn't try to—I try not to make judgments about various sorts of political movements. But the point being that, like— um, Wait, 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 that, wait, that, wait, 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 hold on. Hold on. Sorry, sorry. I don't mean to interrupt you, but isn't making judgments about various sorts of political <laughs> movements the whole point of being political? <laughs> Is that it? <laughs> well, not the point of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, fair enough. Okay, fair enough. Although, I mean, well, we're, well it's fair, like— I appreciate that Falun Gong is in opposition to the Chinese government and, and for good reason. But at the same time, I'm not going to espouse all of Falun Gong's uh, beliefs, which I think involve various sorts of uh, like stretching exercises. I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> also, uh, the, also, the Shen Yun Chinese New Year concerts, which are <laughs> everywhere and is a totally bizarre other thing. But, but the point being that like groups like that – Groups like the Falun Gong protesters or like the the groups in Berkeley and in, in uh, the Boston Common in Cambridge that are turning out to protest like various foreign policies for very specific reasons are sort of like uh, people who are going to the pitches, right? People who are like, I want to go to the movies because that's the entertainment, who sort of still see turning out in the streets, you know, to mount the barricades as the political culture, as the mainstream political culture for them. Like that's sort of how they're doing it. Uh, Lyndon LaRouche supporters have this vibe for me, where it's like they never even got with the program that the rest of us are doing this from home, <laughs> right? Like, like, uh, and that, and that they see leave, staying at home as apolitical and going on the street as political, disregarding the fact that like most of us are engaging politically with the rest of the world from inside of our houses, like a lot. Um, and but now we have this transformation of the tentpole 
March where everybody get like like it makes me think of what what was it? What was it? 2006. There was an immigrant rights march. It was like 400,000 people in D.C., uh, something along those lines. And and I remember there being a really there, there was a very specific I think policy goal that they were trying to achieve with the march. And there was this rhythm at the time of this idea of like, you get everybody together, you go for the march, and the march is kind of like precipitates some sort of culminating act of legislation or like a, or a, there's a sort of call and response that happens between the crowd and the leaders. And it's like, give us this thing. And it's like, if you get enough people together and you kind of do it in the right way and you and you obey the rules, but you also kind of like show force, then you'll be kind of rewarded for having done the choreography the right way by like getting the policy goal that you wanted. And and that was sort of a different discourse of all this. But but that seems to be gone because I don't I mean, was the maybe you guys can clarify for me. And again, I don't want to endorse it one way or the other. But this walkout, this sort of gun control walkout, was it for a specific – was there a specific like bill or policy goal that they no, were trying that, to No, I mean there, there isn't. There is associated yeah. with the March for Our Lives movement. There are uh, a set of uh, – sort of a set of policies and they are – like the core The core is pretty well defined and then at the edges it's a little – you know, it's a little less defined, uh, especially since state by state the actual reforms that are needed are – you know, are particularly different, but you know, right. I um, think that's normal at this point. Like, like you're saying, it's people speaking. There's an inward speech and an outward speech, but it's not like a dialogue, like it. Yeah, it's has been at some point in the past, right? The 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 2006 uh, immigration reform protests were about a specific bill that was uh, being debated in the House, right? And that well, did like, I get the, the did I get the year right? I'd be so proud of myself. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's okay. right. That's what okay. that's when. Um, uh, and they, but that, that was a specific policy goal, right? Or at least there was a focal point. There was a specific bill that was going to do immigration reform, and that that uh, you know people want people want the things that they want in that. Um, yeah, this is not this is not so so. Like there are two things. One was the walkout, uh, and two was the march on the march on Saturday. The walkout. I mean, the walkout was interesting, and never never really read Facebook. I, I mean, hashtag delete Facebook for sure. But uh, but I you know it some of my uh, some of my best devil's advocate Facebook friends you know I'm just asking the question I'm just playing devil's advocate here you know I'm just raising the point <laughs> hey look I give uh, I give both sides an equally hard time um, so you anyway check their likes and is like devil in their likes because they are an advocate for the devil yeah, right exactly. Um, yeah, a lot of people follow the devil on Facebook, uh, but, um, you know, that, that, uh, you know, well, it's not a, it's not a walkout if the principal agrees with you and lets you do it. It's like, shut F you shut your mouth. Like, uh, you know, the principal lets you do it because most people, most Americans actually agree on the, the. 80% Eighty percent of the the sorts of reforms that are that are being talked about, right? Like, um, so there there was a school walkout, which I feel like is appropriate because the focal point for a lot of these things is is uh, you know um, is sort of school shootings, which you know there there are some 
political problems with that because the the, the Black Lives Matter protesters and and people from the inner cities and you know more have been telling us about this problem for decades and we haven't been listening and you know suddenly uh, suddenly some some you know middle class people are menaced and and now we're up in arms but the but you know okay here we are here we are now and like let's let's take the progress while we can these things are focused on schools and so school is a sort of appropriate venue for this and then there is this sort of there is this sort of taking to the streets and i'm 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 interested in this idea in this um idea of a tentpole of a sort of of a tentpole march a, te- a tentpole walkout right like one of the things that i think the left has to to completely uh, give the right in this country is that they have been very well organized, right? Like they, and well funded, right? Like that that their interests are are uh, being advanced uh, systematically, um, strategically, you know, and and with uh, with a sort of vision, may, maybe not <laughs> too much of a thought for the vision of what the society looks like um, after. Uh, after they get their wish, but like with with a vision of the tactics of the kind of the the and and, and a sort of tactical excellence that's that's being executed on and and the left has been messier partly because that's I think the nature of oh. it. What can I, can I expand on this on this analogy? Yeah, absolutely. So like if we're talking about political tent poles, then the right has effectively done like a marvel cinematic universe strategy <laughs> where it just keeps churning out massive tent poles like an extremely or- organized and industrial and the fashion. left keeps the left hiring is- Zack snyder over and over <laughs> over no, I, no, 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 I got a better i know i got a better analogy the left is putting out a bunch of web series on youtube not to belittle those web series on youtube because a lot of them are great and actually people that we know have have produced them overthinking uh, your but, you know some much smaller audiences uh, just kind of like disorganized and, you know, uh, uh, kind of like it's a similar amount of like overall uh, combined effort, but just cut up and chopped up into disparate things and not all concentrated in like the in, in a super focused beam uh, that produces a, the, the tentpole size turnout and concentrated outcomes as well i mean actually you know think about it i'm just yeah oh yeah for sure Uh, look look i'm just playing devil's advocate here but from the (laughs) from the point of view of progressive politics which are historically uh at least over the last several decades anti-capitalist you know being way into black panther produced by a multinational corporation you know and raking in (laughs) billions of dollars is a weird way to virtue signal your liberal credentials okay yeah you know what it's like i'm like wakanda forever but for the expropriation of private property okay so this this makes me want to bring up the 1999 seattle wto protest oh wow you guys remember that remember these that talk about some theater right <laughs> and so this I remember kind of- I remember so well like images from that of like the protester on the fence right with the uh the tear gas being sprayed. Yep. Um I'll I'll see if I can hunt that down for the show notes. Yeah, yeah, I believe that the person spraying the tear gas was the first globalist cook. I believe is <laughs> No. Uh- <laughs> Um, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. But but, well, first of all, it shows you how much things change over time. Thomas Thomas Jefferson was obviously the first globalist cuck. (laughs) Um, 
<laughs> but at any rate, uh, the so the Seattle WTO. So there's a, double, a bunch of a bunch of different models for what a protest is supposed to do, and. We've been talking about them, right? Parades. And we're expanding it to include any sort of reason why a large number of people would organize and go down the street up to and including food festivals. But um, <laughs> it's like, I want to get a gyro. Where can I get a gyro? Oh, look, it's Greek day. Let's go get a gyro. Um, one of the theories about protests is that you're going to actually create an obstruction. And this is the theory that goes back to the the, the barricades and the, you know, the French revolutions of the especially of the 19th century, where people would paralyze the city by by uh, by building the barricades in the middle of the road and people would not be able to get around. And, and then it would be a way that the sort of uh, asymmetrically armed and equipped urban residents could force regime change. I've been and everybody was singing big songs. Exactly. Hugh Jackman was there. Anne Hathaway was there. A lot of people had a problem with Anne Hathaway for reasons I still don't understand. But um, but the, the point being that uh, that the point being that while we die, love resistance lives on. But no, the, the point being, I've been listening. I listen a lot to um, <laughs> I listen a lot to the Revolutions podcast. I've talked about history of Rome. I, I've talked about Mike Duncan. I've listened a lot to the Revolutions podcast. I'm in the middle of the Revolutions of 1848 right now. And he did mention one fun little one little uh, tidbit that I'll if you don't know Mike Duncan, check out his, his stuff. It's pretty good. One little tidbit that I'll that I'll put in. This is to add context to the Seattle WTO protests, that there was an account of a woman who knew that a revolution was coming because she saw people singing in the streets and that she then saw a guy carrying a bunch of bread. And she asked him why he had so much bread. And he said, it's enough for three days. You know us. We always do these things in three days. Right. So he's referring to overthrowing the government, which is that it takes about three days to overthrow the government. We've done it a bunch of times. But there's this idea that if you get enough people in a, a key place and that you could disrupt things enough that you can kind of prevent the action of the government from being carried out is sort of one theory that you can sort of physically stop. And this is this is the sort of. Um, and it's just really interesting when you think about the theater of it and the audience of it and who it's speaking to. But the idea that the protest is actually going to represent like a logistical problem for the government that they won't be able to solve and will cause their institutional collapse. Uh, or there's the idea that you put people in a particular place in order to goad other people to commit violence against them so that you can get sympathy for their for their cause. Right. That's another sort of tactic uh, or another sort of a justification for protest is you sort of force force people to look at you and force people to sympathize with you because you present yourself in a situation where you're going to be poorly treated. Um, which, by the way, I think is huge. If you want to talk about the difference between Black Panther and Wrinkle in Time and representation, uh, the degree of suffering in Black Panther that people go through is so much greater. And I think it makes the people feel more heroic. Uh, so when you talk about representation, we talked about this in our Wrinkle in Time podcast. We don't have to go back to it then. The, the idea that like you actually become heroic by by enduring through suffering, not just by like being looking really powerful and like marching down the street in your Irish outfit. Uh, I am Irish myself, so I get to make fun of St. Patrick's Day like everybody else in this country. But the point and then, and then the third one is like, well, OK, it's a democracy. So everybody gets one vote. But because uh, everything gets adjudicated by markets and this idea, I always find pretty interesting because everything gets adjudicated by markets, whether you want it to be adjudicated by markets or not. What a protest is, it's a, is it's a way if you have an especially large preference for you to get more than one vote. It's a way for you to exert uh, sort of a, a payment to, to sort of a, a sort of form of payment into the system of the political market in order to get more than just the one vote that you are sort of doled out to on Election Day. And as such, it is sort of part of the market of ideas and the sort of exchange of and transactional aspect of power. 
is protesting. But but the WTO protest, first of all, they sure worked, right? <laughs> you know, like I, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page now, and, it, and what did it result well, in? I mean, it took it took uh, it took till 2018, but I feel like protectionist trade policies have come back to uh, huh. <laughs> come back to America. Do you think it was because of the 1999 Seattle WTO? Oh yeah, absolutely. Pete, the the the, uh, the arc of history is long, but it but it bends towards authoritarian it bends towards steel tariffs. Uh, yeah, exactly, right authoritarianism. <laughs> well, the point being, it's like the resulted in the resignation of the Seattle police chief. It's like. Oh, good. Now, I'm not I don't mean to I'm laughing. First of all, it was a long time ago, so I think it's OK to laugh. I was, a, you know, a child, basically. We are all adolescents. Um, but but just this idea that the relation, the discursive relationship of the theater of the protest with the political reality was supposed to be that it would compel specific things to happen. Matt, you've used the word change, uh, which I think is interesting. Um, I, I like to I tend to see it more in terms of power. Right. That that what is the power like what what was the what what power is being negotiated um, rather than sort of what change is happening, because it sort of presumes a, a trajectory to the arc of politics, which you've mentioned, which I think is uh, nice to consider to be inevitable. Maybe. But maybe I don't know. I mean, I guess what is that you Matt? You one time in this podcast, you said, Pete, do you think your life has a purpose? Mm. And and that you blindsided me with that question, <laughs> and, and I'll blindside you guys with this question: Do you think progress is real? <laughs> do you, do you think that that existence, society, politics, the human condition is is in any degree naturally progressive? Silence. You feel like question. You feel like. Well, you well, you said. Uh, well, uh, uh, I mean, I I feel like I live with purpose. You know, I feel like I live with progress, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I mean, I just like I think a lot of people believe that now, which is interesting because I did a lot of. Uh, uh, well, yes, in, 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 in high school and college that said that World War Two kind of ruined that attitude for a lot of people in World War One. But uh, I, I mean, in a certain sense, yes, progress is is real. Life expectancies are longer. Certain kinds of, you know, quality of living is by and large higher. Uh, at, you know, a child born today has a better chance of et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Like those things are all uh, those things are all sort of undeniable, right? Um, I mean, at least unless, I mean, unless you want to fight with me. Do you want to fight with me about that? Pete didn't didn't ask if if, uh, progress is real. Pete asked if it's natural, Uh which is a whole other ball of wax. Yeah, it's a a different question. Mark, do you want to unpack that a little bit? Uh, Is it, define terms, right? Like, like, (laughs) is it in our nature to it? Like, are are we naturally kind of predisposed to, to progress ourselves? Um, yeah. I, I, if you really got to pin me down one way or the other, I got to say yes. Like kind of the self-preservation uh, at a certain point needs to kick in and say that, you know, constantly killing each other is not good for self-preservation. Uh, and therefore, uh, we must progress beyond that. Yeah, I, uh, I guess what, I, what I'm sort of. Wow, Mark, don't, don't run for president, right? Like we must we must <laughs> we must cease the senseless slaughter of one another. Um, that like, no, yeah, but Put that it's, on a bumper sticker. No, I mean, I, you know, look, I, I feel like, uh, I feel like going to acting school made me a conservative in the sense that like, if I can, you know, if I can understand the Greek tragedies and if I feel like these problems are sort of still intractable problems in my life, you know, there hasn't been progress in, a, in a certain sense, right? Like not, not, uh, necessarily killing my father and, and marrying my mother, the, but, 
but the ne- that, necessarily necessarily not necessarily <laughs> but uh the sort of the naughty human problems of the kind of the intractable uh the intractable human problems and this is like you know if you if you s- start to try to like uh, uh, the the natural state of of humanity is is perfectibility, right? Like um, you you end up becoming Gene Roddenberry, and and almost I mean one of those was almost too much, right? And the the uh, one Gene Roddenberry, was, as if we had multiple Gene Roddenberries <laughs> who just proliferate an endless cavalcade of Earth final conflicts. I, I, so I thought you were like, no, I thought you were referring to one uh, highly utopian, idealistic science fiction television show of course the next generation not the original series but the next generation you know right like that, that's it's, like you it's know. taken the haters 50 years to kill star trek imagine if there were two of them, <laughs> them even longer <laughs> uh, yeah the, you haters <laughs> um but uh but there there is a certain i mean i don't know there there is a certain kind of thing right like uh i don't know a lot of a lot of the Oh, this I want to go in a lot of I want to go in a lot of different I want to go in a lot of different directions here. So so I think that the idea the idea that sort of human nature is perfectible, which could be like one core tenant of liberalism, is is I think a bunch of crap. Um, the idea that that material conditions are better uh, and that that you know if it weren't natural for them to keep getting better, I'm not sure they would keep getting better, right? Like if there weren't at least some sort of drive uh, to do that. And that like, if you think of a lot of, a lot of our, our most regrettable tendencies as being driven by scarcity um, to the extent that you can uh, eliminate or mitigate scarcity, um, you might be able to, uh, you might be able to, downplay some of our most regrettable some of the most regrettable tendencies in in our nature but then then you start to sound like you start to sound like you know silicon valley startup people like pitching venture capitalists and saying that like you know by disrupt by disrupting laundry service we're going to usher in a great new era of peace and prosperity the you know <laughs> the, the the you know the the pax lavenderia or something but like that but uh uh so you know you don't want to go down you don't want to go too far down that rat hole because it you know it goes it goes it goes nowhere good i don't know pete have i have i addressed some some issues that are relevant to what you're thinking about about progress and being natural i think so it makes me want to bring up our Greek hypothetical Greek festival and our taxonomy of parades, <laughs> right? Where you're walking down the street trying to get a gyro. <laughs> right. And I think conceptually... And you can't find one. It is such a tragedy. <laughs> I've got ready money. I've got cash. Uh, and, and But I think this is... I think this is... I'm actually being kind of serious. So it, the Greek festival gets thrown... Presumably because the people, I mean, first of all, you, you could argue that the Greek Thres Festival is thrown purely for material and economic reasons because the Greek restaurateur capitalists desire to kind of wring more money out of everybody. Uh, but but putting aside the material benefits of throwing a Greek festival or of having a march of some kind of a parade of some kind, like, oh, I have a faction and I want my faction to do better and I want to attract people, so I'm going to have a big party. Putting that aside, the the if we being a little bit more entertaining of the kind of human spirit here <laughs> per se the greek festival is thrown because there is an idea of the greek food culture that 
people feel passionately about and that they feel kind of exists nominally outside of the context of whether there is a Greek festival or not. And as such, they throw a big Greek festival. So you have the idea of the gyro, right? You have the idea of the gyro, then you have the, but then the gyro is sort of brought into being at the festival of the the gyro, where you can then go buy the gyro. And for a lot of people, if the festival were not to exist, then potentially the euro would not exist. So while there is a conception of because they would never have it if, unless there's like a Greek a Greek restaurant on a corner or something like there's one called Greek Corner near me and it's on a corner. But if you don't have a, a if you don't have a, a euro in your home and you don't see one on the street, a big festival that has euros at it might be your main way of encountering it. And so there's a notion of the festival euro as superseding a nominal euro. <laughs> but there's also a notion of the euro qua euro being brought into being by the Greek festival. So, <laughs> right? so, so you're um, saying that Plato exists and Aristotle exists also is what you, is basically <laughs> what you're saying. I, I am trying to bake a cake from a recipe and also uh, eat a cake that is an imitation of a recipe at the same time. Yes. <laughs> and, and the idea being that, like, if you have these these big tentpole protests and whether whether you're trying to, like, march for traditional values or march for progress, you have a notion in the march that the thing that you're marching for exists and kind of demands the the, the theater. And, but at the same time, the theater that you're endeavoring upon also kind of brings that thing into being as well. Um, and, and it's a difficult thing to kind of, I mean, it, obviously there's a deeper conversation there, and I was curious what your perspectives are on it. But, you know, a lot of ritual around religion is like this, too, where you know, we have these rituals that feel deeply meaningful that people will be like, ah, oh, yeah, but there's nothing that really precedes it, right? There's no, there's, it's not real because there's nothing real behind it. Well, yeah, but there's the ritual, and the ritual, like, people participate in it. And and does it backfill or not? So if you have a march for progress, do, does that help bring the idea of progress into being in a more real way than it might naturally exist without there being this theater, this ritual that kind of brings it into being? And I guess I guess the Seattle WTO protests in 1999 are, are something of a, of a very tragic articulation of this because there is this idea of the sort of rising of the people to oppose kind of global economics that the protest sort of seeks to bring into being because it perceives it as pre-existing, right? People are like, people will rise up. It is inevitable that the capitalists will lose. People will rise up a- as a class in themselves and they'll overthrow the capitalists. And I will have this big protest that will show that this is what people want and this is what people are doing. And then people will tear gas us and that will be part of our narrative of how we win. Um, Let's not forget the revolution that Les Miserables is based on was unsuccessful. Um, but at the same time, the, the, the existence of it is, is, is very powerful and echoes through time, right? And echoes through future revolutions like 1848. And so it's like the spirit of, nine, of the 1999 Seattle WTO protests does exist in conflict to the material reality around them uh, in the sense that it didn't work. And it did nothing, but um, which is mean to say, but I think accurate um, in terms of actually changing the global trade order. Um, But at the same time, it did also sort of bring into being the thing that it believed might exist. Well, it led Uh, uh, um, the sort of credibility, um, legitimacy. That's what I'm looking for. It it led legitimacy to the to the concerns that they were bringing to the table. And 20 years later. Um, I think it's fair to say that a lot of those concerns have been borne out, right? I, I feel like that's oh, yeah. kind of what you're talking about, Pete. It's coming from a little bit different angle, 
right? It's this idea that, like, well, on one hand, um, if your cause is legitimate, then people will show up for it. However, the flip side of that is um, because people showed up for it, therefore it can be considered legitimate. Yeah, I mean, both I guess, of those things can be true, right? I'm trying to articulate a transition from a, a protest as a culmination, a, a march, right? Like a, re- a revolutionary march as a culmination of a rising feeling to a uh, a, a sort of act of cre- self-creation and cultivation that is in of itself like part of a larger conflict, right? It's like it's like. The conventional wisdom is when everybody takes to the streets, that's when the fight ends. And that, and that you could see that spirit even up through the mid-2000s with the immigration march where it's like, well, we'll go and we'll march, and then they'll pass the immigration reform bill. And, and that's sort of the relationship discursively of the theater of the march with the, the discourse of the theater of politics and the theater of the operations of the institutions of government, which is in and of itself a pageant. Um, and that this seems to have changed to this idea of like, well, we need to hold a march so that we can we can bring people in and get people excited and get people motivated and also make the belief real for them so they feel connected to other people who share the same belief. But but the idea that the march itself presents kind of like a chicken bone that the world can't handle is somewhat past uh, because the world has developed many technologies for handling these sorts of things, which seem to like like even when you talked about the guys, you know, the people blocking the highway. I mean, it was an inconvenience for like a couple of hours and people like to make a big deal about like the people died or whatever, you know, like it's it eventually gets cleared. I mean, maybe there's this aspiration to really shut down everything. But when we consider the scale of something like the Women's March, which was huge, uh, just so huge, it didn't destroy the government. <laughs> like it didn't even depose the serial abuser that it was personally protesting. Right. Like so. But that's not what its purpose was, I guess, is what I'm saying. I don't know. It's like, is your protest a an end of a is it a, a result or a cause i guess is what i'm saying um you articulated it much more briefly than i did mark i just got very excited because mm-hmm. we're talking about politics we talk about shutting everything down um, um we you know rep- obviously reference the black lives matter protesters shutting down the freeways um we have something else happening uh we the royal we have something happening now uh similar in that uh, the french railway workers are going on preparing for massive labor movements to uh protect their job security and their retirement benefits um, because they're extraordinarily generous and the french president wants to uh to to pull those back and not surprisingly for a railroad worker you really really don't like that and they have the capacity actually to really kind of shut yeah the whole country down but it's not just because they have a superior technology of organizing it's that they have a cultural discourse around protest that all that has a different sort of relationship right um, like and, they're, yeah, and they're uniquely, very uniquely positioned because they are the linchpin of, of the, the transportation infrastructure. I just, I just wonder which is more important. I, I wonder. I mean, I, I don't. I can't know for sure. But I wonder which is more important to their political power: the the actual ability to shut down the railroad infrastructure, or the history and culture of like French mobilization as something that the French political class uh, needs to continue to allow to exist. Right. Or because it does not have the sort of discursive authority to override it yet. Right. Yeah. Um, Just a side note on that, in case you're not familiar with the, the French love the protests and the strikes beyond, you know, the lame is 1848 stuff that we've been oh, talking yeah, yeah, about. Yeah. Right. And it's not just the railroad workers. It's the truckers. It's the, the whole bunch of other people in different uh, different occupations. Oh, yeah, exactly. Definitely. Uh, I mean, you can compare it to the sort of U.K. Thatcherite 
era strikes. Uh, they weren't Thatcherites, but the Thatcher era strikes, which um, coal miners, you know, etc. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's hard it's hard to say. And again, I don't. I'm not saying that it's a bad idea to do these things, but it's that merely the protest merely in and of itself is not sufficient to get the outcome that you want in your situation. Like there has to be a, a political discourse that's around this protest that that is able to pull levers of other sorts, I would suggest, I guess. I mean, because they're not mining coal in Newcastle, the, you know, they're shutting down the auto plants around a lot of the UK over the course of the last bunch of years. Everything's been bought off. Right. Like uh, countries gone into Brexit. You know, it's it's uh, it's it's just it's just it's interesting to to look at. Um, if you thought it's it's about resting on your laurels, if you thought that the protest was the win was the victory stroke, it's going to take more than that. Uh, so that's that's I guess when I'm answering your question, when Matt, you're looking at the kids, and you're like, man, the kids are doing it, they're leading the way, right? And Mark, you're like, oh man, I feel so young seeing this. I'm like, I mean, this is this is if anything, it's it's a it's one move, I guess, as you guys described it too. It's a game of many moves, but it's competition, and uh, and yeah, maybe maybe if you win you get the bill that you want but do you get the respect yeah so <laughs> the, like, like, would say. <laughs> so i guess what we learn from newsies <laughs> that important <laughs> cultural work of uh labor movements and also singing and dancing uh is that uh, the newsboys may have won the strike for better wages, uh, but they didn't stop the internet from destroying the publishing industry. <laughs> well, I guess these are different problems, right? It's wrong to blame. Yeah, yeah. It's wrong to blame the newsies. I'm, I'm going a little bit farther in the other way, just to again, like you know, I don't want to play devil's advocate because apparently the devil has enough advocates. But uh, but I'm interested. <laughs> yeah, they're all on Facebook. <laughs> and it's not like I don't go to protests. I don't. I go. I, don't, I think they matter, right? But at the same time, it's like uh, you know. How how comfortable should we feel about the current situation? It's kind of like depending upon what side you're on of what. Uh, but, yeah, I guess like uh, you can't you can't necessarily blame you shouldn't blame the protesters for the secular changes that they wouldn't want to have happen anyway. <laughs> um, and then it's like, well, everybody else should also be listening. And well, what are the levers that actually matter? And that's a that's a whole other conversation. Right. Like what would actually get you to the material outcomes that you want? Well, right. And those, um, thing, and those things are those things are a moving target. Right. Like, I, yeah. I think it's you know, I think it's important not to be discouraged that one outcome isn't achieved because the the, the work of making a better world is never done. You know, uh, you need to have perpetual war for perpetual podcast. <laughs> All right. Oh man. And I guess you know there's always another hero, I suppose. <laughs> there's always another episode. Thanks very much for listening to this one. Uh and uh please we'd love to know your thoughts in the uh the comments on the show notes for this episode or you can send them to us at podcastoverthinkingit.com. Thanks to Pete and Mark for podcasting with me. Hey, check out the Overthinking Eurovision series on YouTube. It's Eurovision time again and it's a, a fun time every year where we talk about this bizarre uh European tradition, uh, the song contest that uh, happens, and we put on some YouTube videos on our YouTube channel. Go to YouTube, search for Overthinking It, subscribe to us there. Uh, they're, they're funny videos, and uh, I just shot one today that Mark wrote. So, uh, you know, you're definitely going to want to see that. Uh, and we'll be back next week with more Overthinking Podcast. Till then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably 
dozen. dozen. I am not going to say it. <laughs> I refuse. I reject it. I'm not going to say it. I'm not. It is not going to be over. I'm going to sit here and this podcast is going to keep going because I am not going to say the word deserve. <laughs>